0: playing 18
1: to a full 60 early leads to buzzer beaters it all starts by getting on the board welcome inside episode 69 of on the board and as our good friend Rob Gronkowski likes to say you know what I mean baby yeah (laughs) yeah I'm Colby McKee on the line Mr. Corey Pekoskis is here yeah
0: episode 69 Nice.
1: Very nice, uh, very nice. I like it a lot. No Lance,
0: <laughs> surprisingly.
1: No Lance tonight. Uh, do you want to fill in the listeners on, on where Mr. Doll is?
0: He's, good God, he's, he's doing some poker. I don't know how much money he's going to win at the end of it, but he's, he's on, on pace to, to win a little bit.
1: Yeah, he was, saying, well for himself. he was saying in the group chat that uh, he apologizes, first off, that he can not make it tonight. He feels really terrible. And uh, he's in like a $108,000 tournament or something. And yeah. he's no. supposed to make it to the, the next round, which will be on Saturday. So if you're listening to this uh, on or before Saturday, you can uh, find him on Twitch. He'll be streaming that one live at Lance Dahl. So a little plug for our boy, Uh, but not too much because we got some stuff to talk about lots on the docket in the sports world on the last little while. We'll start things off at the Masters, a tradition unlike any other. And uh, it feels like we were just talking about the Masters like yesterday, which kind of we were because this was like six months ago. They had the tournament in uh, October, early November. When DJ won uh, in spectacular fashion, but this year, uh, 2021, Hideki Matsuyama is your winner. Uh, he's the first major winner by a male in Japan's history. And uh, I was going to talk with Lance about yeah. this. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Good job, Hideki. That's that's a good yeah. golf clap. I was going to talk with Lance about this, but uh, watching major tournaments with him in the field, he always seems like a guy who's right on the cusp. He's kind of in it on the Friday and the Saturday. But he just hasn't come close, you know, that top five, top ten finish until Sunday.
0: Yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't been watching too much golf. But um, so is he? Like, I gotta. I want to Google a little bit about him. So, how long has he kind of been in this upper tier? And I'm guessing this is kind of the first major tournament that he's he's won?
1: I believe so. I, I think he, okay. he's kind of been uh, around, I'd say the last five-ish years, if I'm not mistaken. He was really good as, a, as an amateur yeah. uh, coming up through the yeah. ranks. And uh, I believe this is his first major, if I'm not mistaken. But like okay. I said, he's just kind of been around... Uh, a, a good while. And he's really performed well. He just hasn't performed at the upper echelon like guys like Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy and Tiger and just like the the names of the upper elite that you know and love. Uh, this guy has been just kind of just below that tier, like really, really consistent, but just not to the upper echelon. And it was really nice to see him uh, play so well, especially on Sunday. He had a crazy big lead. And uh, he, he ended up being a lot closer than most people thought, all thanks to uh, Xander Shoffley. He came back and had uh, four birdies in a row towards the end of the back nine. And unfortunately for Shoffley, his triple bogey on 16 hit the water and uh, did not do very well for the rest of the tournament, obviously. He fell out of contention. But like I said, he put a real charge into that leaderboard and uh, made Matsuyama really work for us.
0: Yeah, I had here in my notes that uh, Xander Schauffele had a bad 16. So I I didn't know quite what that meant, but yeah. um, (laughs) So it just things fell apart. Was that on the Sunday that he?
1: Things kind of fell apart That there. was, exactly, that was Sunday. Oh and uh, he was in the last pairing as well, if I'm not mistaken. So he uh, he hit water and he knew right away his, his chances were up in smoke. He was made that big comeback, like I mentioned, had like four mm-hmm. straight birdies in a row uh, to really bring the gap closer. And uh, unfortunately for, for Xander, he'll have to try again next year. Uh, one guy, Canadian-wise, that we were really watching all tournament long, was Corey Connors, and he was in it, like I said, all weekend long, finished 10th, and even had an ace on hole number six, which apparently is one of the toughest holes. There's only been five aces in tournament play in Masters history, and now he gets to add his Holy. name to that one. That's pretty cool, hey?
0: Wow. That's, yeah, put uh, put a Canadian in the history books there. Yeah, um, I got to see that. That was, I don't know, whenever a Canadian does something in like a random sport, I don't know, I feel like a little bit more pride I don't know like Connor McDavid does something cool in hockey it's like okay if we dominate that sport when when we do something in golf or like tennis or something like that it's like yes let's go exactly uh, yeah no um I was actually I was looking at some of the betting the betting odds before the tournament and I was like yeah I might throw some money around and one that I was looking at I was like I mean you gotta you gotta smash the money on somebody's hitting an ace like you just you gotta hope for something like that but I did not sadly
1: no, I think uh, a great bet if you were to, to obviously hit that. And I think like for most odds betters, you would probably bet hole 16 where Xander had his um, had his triple bogey. But for the most part, that hole, if you really hit it right and the slope goes the way you want, you could you've had an opportunity to hit an ace in years past. I think uh, Louis Oosthuizen had one just if not last year, the year prior. And, uh, but for hole number six, for him to get an ace on only the sixth time in Masters history, that's some big time stuff right there. So shout out Corey Connors. Uh, he'll be in the appearance of the Masters next year with his finish. Uh, rookie though, another young guy in Will Zalatoris kind of came out of nowhere, at least for me. I, he was not in, uh, my golf realm in terms of knowledge, but he finished second overall solo performance. uh, Great all weekend long, including uh, late Sunday. He kind of came back and, and stole that second place spot from Jordan Spieth. Jordan had it for all a majority of the tournament and a fun little note about uh, Will his only two major appearances so far have been a second, which was on Sunday and a sixth place finish. Not too shabby for the young man.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I got Lance to send me a little bit of a of a text from <laughs> about the Masters, just cause I was like, I don't know much. What 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 would you say? So yeah, for saying sure. that uh, Zalatoris was ranked like top forty coming in and was just completely slept on by the media. Oh, okay, and everybody like you know like obviously with the finish that he had, of course he was. So um, <laughs> was saying that you know his drives were really consistent and that his, he's just got to work on his his short game. But I mean, twenty four years old and you're playing or finishing second in the masters. I mean, very bright future for him.
1: That's fantastic. And I'm glad that Lance could uh, get a little opinion in here in the early <laughs> yeah, part of there the he, podcast. There you go, Lance. <laughs> we'll see if we can uh, add some more commentary from Lance through text messages as we go along. But uh, one guy, we talked about him uh, in the last edition of the masters back in, in late 2020, but, but Bryson kind of came into the field. Obviously he's known for the big stick and he can drive it a long ways, but Again, he's all bark and no bite at a major event. He hasn't placed inside the top 25 at the Masters in any of his four appearances, which is kind of disappointing for a guy of this uh, magnitude and this stardom. He's supposed to be, quote-unquote, the next Tiger, and Tiger's giving him you know, inspirational messages here and there. Um, and he was in the tournament this weekend. He was eight over through all the par-three holes. So Oof. if if your short game and your, and your shorter distance holes are not going well for you, that's not <laughs> setting up for great success as you move along through the tournament like this. No,
0: no, I, I'd, I'd assume not. Um, <laughs> so, so is that is that the issue with him? He's just he. he he can only really drive it far or is it just easy, easy losing focus or it's you know, yeah. if he, if he's the next prodigy thing. Like, you know why, you know, what's up with him?
1: He's got a big old ego. That's for sure. You, you don't, uh, uh, you don't play the way he does without having an ego. And I think mm-hmm. it's a combination of all of that. You're right. And I think it's just, he's got to really fine tune uh, his, his shorter game for sure. He can't be putting up eight over on his par three holes. So it's just not acceptable. Um, and even, you know, the longer par fives on a course like the Masters, they're just, right now, they're not meant for his game, I don't think. I think he's just not, uh, this course is not for him. And he needs to adjust to that because the the expectations are going to be there for, for a long time, unless he completely blows it, like he's a great player and some other courses he'll dominate as they just fit his style better and as of this moment Mm -hmm. i just don't think the master's course in augusta is meant for him which is like kind of unfortunate
0: yeah i mean fair enough yeah yeah. Uh, um sorry i just got some notes that uh from my little five minute video that i watched
1: before yeah for sure
0: um some of the other guys that, that missed the cut, I don't know, we're talking about Bryson and, and you know not living up to expectation. Three guys I had down here, Rory, uh, Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka and DJ, Dustin Johnson. Like, yeah. Do you have any opinion on those three guys missing the cut and, and just you know not being up there in, in terms of the standings?
1: That was a tough one, uh, especially DJ. I mean, we talked about him. He was so dominant just six months ago, and for him to go from that performance to missing the cut, he had a really tough Friday, and unfortunately, that kind of did him in, and in the case of Rory, the last, I think it's like last seven, last eight appearances, he's placed really well at the Masters, like top ten in each appearance, and he's been really consistent, so that one was very very surprising as well. Um, I don't know the entire story behind Koepka. Uh I know in years past, he's been dominant, we talked about him on the pod even last year. Um, so yeah, three big names though that you didn't see on Saturday and Sunday. And I'm sure the crews at CBS and, and whatnot really missed out on that opportunity to follow those guys. Uh, but I mean, great stories with Matsuyama, uh, with Xander, especially on the back nine there, or the I guess kind of the middle nine uh, on Sunday. The rookie, you know, in Wills Zalatoris. obviously Corey was in the mix uh, in terms of a Canadian. So a lot of different angles still that they were able to capture on the broadcast, and and that was still good to see. But yeah, three big names not making the cut out of Masters—that's definitely headlines.
0: Yeah, and I think as an outside viewer like myself, I mean, I, you know, it's nice when when the Tiger Woods win and you know the Rory McElroys, or McElroy's win, but I mean when names come up that you've never heard of, that that it brings its own attraction to. To golf, right? Right. Like even you know through this podcast, I mean, just just listening to some of these names and these storylines and the guys that have, you know haven't won anything before, and then all of a sudden they're winning the Masters. Like I mean, it brings a different excitement to the game.
1: Hundred percent. And I mean, uh, you kind of look at these young guys. Even the, I think it was Cameron Smith is the name uh, from six months ago when he placed like top three. He was hitting them out of out of the woods and he was his short game last year and the last year's tournament was insane and then kind of to translate that story into Will Zalatoris's run this year uh that's you know great to see the younger guys like those two continue to grow and you hope they don't kind of turn into the guy I'm thinking of off the top of my head is Ricky Fowler and I haven't heard a lot of Ricky in in a few years and that's kind of disappointing because yeah. again he was a young hot shot, you know, with the hats and the, and the bright colors and whatnot. And he, like I said, he hasn't had a lot of major success, uh, definitely not the Masters and rarely anywhere else. So you hope that these young guys can grow from their experiences and not, you know, have the flip side of a guy like Ricky Fowler where not a lot of people are know, talking about his name right now.
0: Yeah, geez, that's a name that I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> it's like, been a while, yeah. not being in golf in a while, but like, yeah. That name completely escaped my mind when I came to (laughs) golf, for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, great-looking Masters, though. Uh, We'll obviously talk about more major tournaments as the summer months move on. We'll transition over to our friends at the Messinat Tigers in the WHL. Last weekend, we kind of broke some news on the pod with (laughs) Matt Wong last week. He didn't even know (laughs) that the uh, Tigers were not being able to play that upcoming weekend series. Uh, Were they facing... Red Deer? No, they were facing Lethbridge last week, if I'm not mistaken. They were supposed to.
0: Yeah, I think they were scheduled to play Lethbridge. And then, yeah, Lethbridge, they just re- redid the schedule a little bit and Lethbridge played Red Deer for the weekend.
1: Right, but. so uh, now these schedule quirks have worked out where this upcoming weekend... And the following weekend, we're playing six straight games against the Red Deer Rebels. So uh, we'll get to know those folks very, very well over the next little while. Uh, In the standings, whatever the standings decide they are this year, uh, we still sit well behind the Edmonton Oil Kings in this uh, Central Division, uh, which is obviously not surprising. We've talked about that. Edmonton is a powerhouse they should be going for a title this year which unfortunately doesn't look like there will be a title uh to to capture we'll talk about that if we want to in a little bit but uh you have here in the notes here halfway through the season any surprises storylines i think we can start with with cowboy clayton at least on my end uh i did not expect the offensive (laughs) output that cowboy is putting up and, and really leading not only the tigers decor but the entire whl in defenseman points that's insane
0: yeah, and like points in general, I think he's, uh, I'd have to Google it, but he was top five for a while and he's probably still in the top ten. um Yeah, just, you know, there's certain D men that come through WHL organizations and you're like, yeah, when they get 19, 20, they might be point per game. Um, but I, I don't think anybody picked this guy <laughs> as being almost two points per game, right? At least to start out a season. So, He's been a, a great great story. Um, I think we've talked about it every, about him every time. He's, yeah. he's you know every every weekend he's playing. He's doing something, getting points or you know, producing in some other way. Um, yeah, there's uh, you know other storylines. I mean, obviously our boy Beckett Lankow, He's yeah. fun, been doing great, starting out three and zero with that nine twenty save percentage. He's been very fun to watch. Um, and then just I think the story of the the Youngins. Um, these guys coming in and and most of them looking really good. And the other ones, you know, they still got some some room to grow for sure, but they they haven't looked too scared or too timid. Um, and, and you know this this team looks very exciting um, and a team that's that's going to be fun to watch over the next few years.
1: I'm not sure if we brought him up in uh, in a previous episode, but uh, Reed Andreessen's first game with the Tigers a couple weeks back. Um, he started on that third pairing, which is totally expected. But throughout that game, Willie trusted him more and more, and ended up putting him on the top pairing in that last half of the game with Cowboy, and that was so interesting to to see and to watch. And listening to to Bob and Scott talk, uh, call the game a couple weeks back, like they were so impressed with you know his composure and being a 15 year old. To, to jump up mid game like that and, and handle some responsibility. He got his first career point and an assist on, on a goal there, I believe by Svakoski. Um, it was just a great performance from Andreessen. And like you mentioned, like so many good things to come for these young tigers.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I watched, I've watched any of his games. Um, maybe one of them, but yeah, I mean, I go back to when the tigers drafted him. Um, I think it was 11th overall. Um, and he was a guy that, you know, that was considered a reach, you know, looking mm-hmm. at the at the mock drafts for that particular Bantam draft. A lot of guys had him going kind of top of second, not, none really in the mid to top first round. So um, they've seen something that they really like in him and, and obviously giving him games as a 15-year-old. You know, not there's not too many 15-year-olds getting games um, in the WHL right now, even with the season the way it is. So, And especially on the back end, right? Like. Yeah. It, you know, you can hide a 15-year-old forward on your fourth line, but if you got a 15-year-old defenseman in one of your top six, you know, he's going to be logging some big minutes. So, yeah, very impressed with, with what he's done so far. And, and, you know, you look at him and, and Josh Van Mulligan coming up eventually and and, and Drew Krebs, you're, you're starting to see this decor form over the next couple of years.
1: And you mentioned the way that the season is set up this year. Uh, one of the wrinkles is that teams can uh, bring up and play their first round selections. Uh, from this past bantam draft, so that is one of the reasons why Reed is with the team. A lot of the young guys in the league uh, around the Dub and whatnot are are getting a chance to play in this abbreviated season, and you know get the get the camaraderie going, and you know get these 24 games under their belt, so that when next season comes around, uh, having the whole crew together, hopefully again outside of the, you know, your overages, it's only going to bring more confidence and, and hopefully a better outcome on the ice.
0: Yeah, and even if you're not playing too much, like, you know, Reed Andreessen, he's already got four games, and, I mean, still half a season left. You might even get a handful more. Um, even if he doesn't hit 10 on the season, like, just being in the locker room, being around the veterans like Cole Clayton, like we've always mentioned, um, just getting that atmosphere, uh, getting accustomed to it, that's, that's huge, especially at that age where, uh, you know, the WHL, like, that, that's, that's the big thing. You know, the NHL draft is still a few years away, but you know you're at the pinnacle of where you need to be um you know just just to be in the locker room and getting around that atmosphere that's that's huge for for those young guys
1: 100% looking forward to the second half of the season maybe we'll uh we'll get Mr. Scott Roblin on the pod in in the next little while. We'll talk about the season and uh, get his perspective from the broadcast booth. That would be fantastic. Um, You you mentioned here in the notes, Corey, a little bit of the under-18 tournament that some details have started to come out uh, in terms of that and Canada and USA releasing their rosters for the tournament starting on the 26th. Fill us in on that.
0: Yeah, so um, the U18 tournament is happening in Texas at the end of the month, I think the, the 26th that starts. So, um... Interesting tournament this year um, because uh, usually the U18, this particular U18 tournament, um, the other countries usually bring their best, the Americans will bring their best players, they'll bring their uh, their junior development players, um, but the Canadians never rarely bring their best players because it's during the WHL playoffs, so or during the CHL playoffs, I should say. Um, so if there's, you know, a good 17-year-old, but they're still in the playoffs when this tournament is happening, the teams won't loan them. So, um, and similar to the Ivan Holinka, Canada will send their best team because it's in the summer, but the U.S. won't send their junior development players. So interesting little wrinkle this year is that, you know, CHL is sending their best players. So this is really the first best-on-best tournament. Um that these guys are seeing because obviously last year at the U17s Canada split into three teams, right? So it's it's really not you know best Can- Canadians versus the best Americans, right? No. So um, I'm excited to kind of watch this tournament. I mean, like there's I, and I you look at uh, the uh, the situation obviously this year with with scouting um, a lot of. NHL teams haven't been able to see these draft-eligible players as much as they'd like to, not only in person, just like over video because there hasn't been many games. Now all these guys, all the best players that are going to be eligible for this draft, um, they're in one tournament, in one two-week long tournament. So it's going to be some some pretty exciting hockey.
1: Uh, obviously, a little local tie to everything. Uh, Cole Sillinger and uh, Corson Kuhlman's is going to be making Team Canada. Uh, Corson is the defenseman. I believe he was playing for Brooks. was I'm not mistaken in that, yeah, yeah, he's the kid from Brooks. Yeah, and uh, obviously Perfectly. Cole was playing down south. Is the Sioux Fall season done? By, right by now. Ooh, that is a good question. Or are I they don't... loaning him for this tournament? I think
0: they have to. They would have had to relieve. Yeah. Him because I think there's probably some other USHL players that are at this tournament, whether it be for America or, or anywhere else. So, gotcha. yeah, I think they they had to loan.
1: I'm just looking at the uh, the list right now in terms of the the Canadian roster. Obviously, Shane Wright uh, is a name that people will know. Uh, he's made this list. Connor Bedard. Um, you wanna you you wanna bring up that point you mentioned in the group chat there, Corey, about potentially Bedard making the World Juniors this year. <laughs> I mean, like really? Shane
0: Wright almost did it last year, right? Yeah. So, like, because he got the invite to camp, and I think if, if uh, like the amount of first rounders that were in play that, mm-hmm. that Canada eventually iced on the team, like, I mean, it was just a tough team to make. But I mean, next year, I, uh, I don't know. I, it's just it's a good question. I mean, mm-hmm. if he can, I mean, if he can be a point per game player and an effective player at this tournament, I think I think why not, right? Like. I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, see if he shows out even more than he's already done. Uh, we we didn't mention it earlier, but his season in the in the Regina bubble has come to an end uh, due to the unfortunate passing of his grandfather. Uh, he's left the team uh, to go back home to BC. So uh, all the best to the Bedard family. That is very sad, of course, and uh, what a way to to go out, uh, scoring the game winner there in his final game in Regina. That was uh, quite a sight, and um, yeah, just watching him in the games that he did play just unbelievable talent. And he is definitely ready for a full season next year. Very much looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. That's going to be crazy. And he's
1: only going to be 16. Like there's still two more
0: of those things.
1: Insane. I
0: I don't know what to expect. Um, I, I, I can't say I expected what's been going on this season. So um, yeah, like, I mean, we, we talk about, um, like eighteen-year-olds and nineteen-year-olds being lent to the AHL. Yeah, a, a few podcasts ago, like, do they start making exceptions where <laughs> they let Bedard <laughs> get drafted a year early? Like, you might have to for the sake of the rest of the WHL. Like, oh my god,
1: son of a gun, that but. would be insane. Um, another guy that anyway. you, guys, you can listen to or uh, remember by name is uh, what's his name, Dylan Gunther from Edmonton as well. He's made this team. Yep. Uh, he's a, a star for the Oil Kings, and uh, one guy that I, I I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at his face and it's Chase Stillman. He's a forward. Okay. Is, is he not Corey Stillman's son formerly of the Tampa Bay lightning? I, I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy too. I, I remember Corey Stillman winning a cup with Tampa in 04 against my flames. And now his son <laughs> is playing in this U 18 tournament. That's insane.
0: Yeah. Um, I think he plays for the Sudbury Wolves out there in the OHL. Yeah. Well, I think he actually he's over in Denmark um, for this season because the OHL is not going. But he's right. he's a he's a top prospect, and he put on a, a good U U seventeen with Team White last season.
1: But that's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, do you have the notes pulled up?
1: I do have the notes pulled up, yes.
0: All right. Uh, I, I want you to look at some of the na- U.S. names that I put down there. I, I need you to pick a favorite because oh. I've been looking on social media, and it's just when USA released their roster today, everybody's like, Jesus, like half of these kids are got to be on the team, all All-named team. All like, team. There are some very good hockey names there. And oh. I remember a few from, from last year at the U-17s, but, I mean, Rutger... McGroarty.
1: that's the Let's one that's staring me right in the face it's got to be oh, Rutger my.
0: that is a perfect name red yeah, savage red.
1: sounds like a, a tv character
0: yep yeah. um Caden and Burko is fun
1: to say <laughs> Burko. no yeah. um Chaz Lucius yeah he sounds that's, like a WWE he, wrestler <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah,
0: know that's that's good he's he's freaking good i think he's like yeah. the top forward on the team right.
1: i've I've heard his name definitely uh dylan duke is it any relation to reed duke mm, I, I doubt know. it i have no idea i think uh, reed's I think canadian and this guy's american he, but yeah um no I, or according to elite prospects no no okay but. and then how would you pronounce the last name on sasha I don't know Past- Pastuyov? Pastewa? Yeah, I have no idea on that one either. I don't know. Yeah, some I good don't names know. there, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and uh, so and then the Americans are going to be without Luke Hughes. Um, we talk about brothers. He is the brother of Quinn and Jack. Um, yeah, he's. I think he's he's kind of a top five projected pick for this upcoming draft. Um, very solid defenseman. People are saying that he. He's not quite like Quinn. He doesn't have quite the offensive touch, but he's definitely a lot more two-way, you know, a little bit of a bigger body. Um, so Americans are going to be missing him.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. That's insane, the, the bloodlines of the Hughes. Like, they're, they're mm-hmm. basically the reverse stalls in the fact that there's now two defensive prospects in, in the Hughes and one forward, whereas the stalls had two forwards and one defenseman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then there's the fourth one, Jared, that oh, didn't right. really amount to much.
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. I only <laughs> I only remember the three. I'm, my apologies, Jared. That that was my bad.
0: <laughs> no, I think he uh he had an alright CHL career, I think, in the O. Mm-hmm. But just I think and then when um, Jordan and Eric were in Carolina, I think they called Jared up. Um, oh, to play yeah. some games in the NHL on their line, and it just didn't click. Like, oh know, no! You think you think they they maybe set up their brother to try and give him a little <laughs> bit of an NHL career, but
1: you no, know, did not work. The fact that they got him to the show, though, like that's the pull of the stalls. Like for sure, mm. he probably didn't deserve it.
0: No, and I think I think people still kind of have hope for like Jordan Subban, even though people you know he's not that right. good. But I think people think he could be PK. Or he,
1: you know what I mean? But I he's a defenseman know, as well. However,
0: hey? last name. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's interesting. And Malcolm's been he's he's made a career for himself. Like he's he's hanging around and he's gotten some starts. I think he's still with Chicago. Is he not?
0: Yes, he is. Um he has good numbers. He's just yeah. I don't think he's been given a, a chance to play like, you yeah. know, he's had multiple seasons of uh plus 900 save percentages, but um he's just, you know, he's behind Tuukka Rask for the longest time and then he goes to Vegas where he's behind Flurry. <laughs> yeah. Um and then obviously he, you know, he might get his chance this year his, with chicago and then kevin Lankinen comes out of nowhere and he's the best rookie goalie ever so.
1: i was gonna say Lankinen, and then uh, they still have colin delia as well
0: yeah yeah so, so just some bad luck for malcolm but i mean maybe he'll go to seattle or something and <laughs> have some success
1: yeah i wonder what they do with their goaltenders uh come the come the draft next year that'd be interesting they, they probably because uh, they got to keep is it seven and no six and four or seven and three is the way it works out right or in terms like of like forwards. the keeper selection like you have to keep six six forwards four d or seven seven of no what the hell is it i can't remember this i don't remember
0: yeah, it's like seven and ooh, what is it because you can keep you can i don't keep, remember
1: uh goaltenders if i'm not mistaken let me see um
0: yeah you get to keep one goalie right um and i think it's like Seven and four, I don't know, eight and f- I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I'm I don't. just, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to search, but uh, if anybody knows the rules, please let us know. Oh, here we go. Seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie, or yeah. eight skaters of any denomination. Okay.
0: So yeah, oh, eight and keep, one
1: goalie. There we go. That's
0: if you want to keep a fourth defenseman, you gotta you gotta fork up some forwards. You
1: do. Okay, and you gotta okay. keep one goalie regardless. So that okay, we figured it out. Yeah. That's perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, I think people have kind of labeled Braden Holpe as that as the Seattle's next <laughs> as goalie, a Seattle goalie as yeah. one of them um,
1: because they're keeping Denko. They just signed him.
0: Yeah, and you know I think you you make out a deal with Seattle because there was a bunch of deals from what I remember with Vegas, where it's like, we'll give you a first rounder to take this player. Like, please take this player they, from us. We'll you, give you.
1: You think with the success of Vegas, do you think the teams are actually going to bite on that? Or are they just going to say, whatever, if you take them, that's, that's you, good. Kudos to you. Because they, they can't do that. They can't get all these picks and then have the success that, that Vegas had.
0: See, yeah, I think they before, know better. The pan, before the pandemic, I would agree with you that people would have learned their lesson. But I think teams are so desperate to get rid of money now like because of the cap yeah that's not going to go up and because owners just don't want to spend money that like it might be even worse than with Vegas. wow like, we will uh, well, yeah like you know we'll give you anything to take this five million dollar contract that we're not using like please you know what i mean
1: shit that's a good point though like it really yeah. is and teams are so cap crunch right now um yeah that that's a good point i man i'm going to be there for it though like just to see the movement and the the not the shadiness but just like the the backhanded moves to to protect players and and get rid of others that that's so intriguing for me man oh yeah
0: it's going to be so fun this summer and like nobody knows how to rank their nhl prospects so Mm -hmm. people have different values on different players and first are going to mean something to different teams like different like it's it's going to be crazy this summer um anyway wrapping up the u17 so we can get on to the nhl yes going to get you to to make a prediction i got the the uh i think the eight teams or the
1: nine ten teams that are down there there's 10 there yeah
0: i need a i need a gold medal game prediction from you Gold medal. I know you don't you don't know too much, and I don't know too much as well. Like, let's just—that's fair. Let's no, get, let's get some predictions out.
1: Let's go. I I say Canada makes the final, but I don't think they win it mm-hmm. because your your last point here—that's that, a very fascinating. They haven't medaled at this tournament since a bronze back in 2015. That's that's yes. a long time.
0: Yes. So but keep keep in mind yeah. this is them not sending their best True. team every year, right? So now <laughs> they've they've got their powerhouse
1: team here. So this is powerhouse. That's true. With Bedard, with Sillinger, with Gunther. I don't know much about their goalies. I just had to look at their goalies and a couple from the dub, but I don't know a whole heck of a lot about them. Um, But then again, who really knows the goalies in this situation for for either team? Uh, Let's go Canada and Russia in the final. All
0: right. All right. And you're saying the Russians are winning?
1: I'm saying the Russians will win. All right. I the Russians
0: the Russians did win the U17, so I think, oh. I think you got, you're playing their percentages very well.
1: Okay, well, I have no prior background knowledge on Russia's roster. I have not looked. I just feel like uh, I feel like Canada going to get there. They should get there, especially with this this top roster they've got. But uh, yeah, Russia will will upset them down in Plano, Texas. All right. I like it. And All right, I appreciate feeling, it.
0: You're feeling Russian.
1: Right. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> Russian. Uh, we we need Lance's alter ego tonight. We really do.
0: We do. Um, I'm gonna quickly text Lance. Okay. U8, U-18 final gold medal final prediction. Um, we'll I'll get give that in mine. A second. I think uh, I think Canada does make it. I gotta go with my home country, but mm-hmm. I think the home country makes it as well. Mm. And. They looked very good, um, and I know they – I watched a lot of games where USA was playing Canada, and Canada was obviously a third of what their um, what their team is Right. Um, in, the, in the U-17s. But, um, like, you got to remember these this is a team that plays together, right? They play together all season. Um, I think that's going to be an advantage, at a tournament like this especially. Cause, and then when you get to the World Juniors, I feel like, Guys are a little bit older. They, they you know, they've they've learned a lot more. But at this age, when you're 17 and you haven't played with guys before that that are on your team, like it, it, it takes a while to get used to. So I'm yeah. going the Americans over the Canadians in the final.
1: Okay, that is also God. a good pick. I mean, it's hard to not argue with the U.S. Like, you're right. They're they're home and uh, their roster is just as stacked with uh, uh, with players as Canadians. So that's very interesting to see. Uh, I guess we'll wait yeah. on Lance's. Hey, we'll probably get to that. Well. And,
0: Maybe we can go to the NHL. And yeah, see yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe so, an answer, um, but, uh, yeah,
1: the trade deadline is coming. Gone. That was on Monday. And before we get to the Hall trade, and before we get to the kind of the blockbuster that kind of came out of nowhere with uh, with Mantha going to Washington, I want to touch on the Maple Leafs quickly and just say that I really, really like what they've done. I think they've addressed all three positions. In a way that I did not expect heading into Monday, but they pulled it off somehow. They got a a top forward that can play in their top six, their top nine. um, In Foligno, they got a guy that's going to play some minutes in the playoffs. In Riley Nash, bet you like 100%. He's going to play. He's going to get some minutes and uh, be an agitator. Excuse me, an agitator on the other side of the ice. Um, They got Ben Hutton for a pretty good deal, and then they got Riddick. Uh, from Calgary at another great deal. They got rid of all their picks. That was the, the plan all along. Dubas wasn't trading uh, Robertson or Amir off or any of those kind of highly touted prospects. They were willing to give up picks and that's exactly what they did. And this is the ultimate all-in for the Maple Leafs this year. I'm very much looking forward to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they they kept their eyes off the the shiny, you know, nice-looking assets like Taylor Hall and... Uh, well, I guess it was really just Taylor Hall about being honest, or I guess Anthony Mantha was on the market as well, but they uh, they went for what they needed. Um, they got a little bit grittier, which is something that this team has lacked for a long time, and, and they got depth. Um, you know, I think back to the play-in series last year when Jake Muzzin went down mm-hmm. um, and they had to put in Marty Marinchen. <laughs> and Marty Marinchen as your seventh defenseman going in to a game five is not going to win you a Stanley Cup. Nope. It's, no. So um, to get a guy like even Ben Hutton, they're just they're just rounding out their depth, um, their rainy day. They're, they're getting their rainy day assets. They're getting everybody in the line. Like this team, you know, I, I don't know if anybody in the north can beat them yeah. as much as Lance wants to say about... Uh, you know, as high as he is on Montreal, um, but and I think once they get past those two rounds in the north and they get into that final four, you know, they're they're are they've already beaten their dragons. They've already you know they've yeah. already gotten past that ultimate first round that they've had such struggles with. Um, and I think they just ride that momentum. They they keep that confidence. They're young. That that confidence is going to play even bigger, and they they might go all the way.
1: The the uh the leadership in that room now with Felino. I mean, you got Tavares, you've got Matthews, you've got Felino, you've got Riley, like there are so many um, you know, leaders, both verbally and, you know, just shown on the ice kind of guys, and that is huge, like you mentioned, uh trying to avenge these playoff demons that have chased them for for several years now, going back to the Boston days and as as of recently, it's just like this is a make or break time, and they like obviously this is the go for it moment. They have like ten UFAs next year. Where if this doesn't go the way they want it to, I think either way they're gone. But like this is the ultimate go for it, and you love to see it. Like kind of going back a year, couple of years ago with uh, Columbus when they went for it, and obviously didn't quite turn out for them. They did win a series, but um, you love teams that are trying to strike when the iron's hot. And the, and the Maple Leafs have definitely done that. They, in my opinion, were the biggest winners of this trade deadline. I mean, we could talk about the Hall trade to Boston, uh, along with Curtis Lazar, which a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans were more upset with Lazar being traded than Hall going. Um, they got Anders Bjork and a second-round pick. A lot of people very upset uh, that they did not get a first-round pick for Taylor Hall, even after eating half of that contract, that eight million dollar contract, they couldn't get a first for him.
0: Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know why Calgary got a better Hall than uh, from Florida than Buffalo did from Boston for Hall. Like, I don't know. I'm so confused at what happened. And I can I can understand what the the frustration with Curtis Lazar. I mean, you got a guy that's under contract for next season there. Um, and a guy that you know, he, he's a very, he's a great guy. I mean, you can kind of bash what his career's kind of turned into. You know, he might have had more potential coming out, and he hasn't quite hit it. But he's a great guy, and, you know, from what it sounds like, he he didn't mind being in Buffalo. Um, he he kind of just wanted some playing time, and um, and you get rid of that, like you, if you're Buffalo, you just need bodies, like you need more bodies, dude. and if you're going if you're gonna send away guys that, you know for you know like that kind of want to be there or you know don't mind being there, don't hate being in Buffalo. Yeah. That's yeah, that that that's got some question marks around it. But
1: I yeah, don't know. The Buffalo, fact
0: that good trade.
1: the fact that you had to throw in Lazar to make that trade work as well, that's a little bit puzzling. And like I honestly think and I think he's kind of mentioned that in his uh his kind of his exit interviews with Sportsnet, but Hall talked about how he really, really wanted to go to Boston. And I have a feeling, I think I heard this on 31 Thoughts with Elliot and uh, and Jeff, but basically Hall said, I want to go to Boston, make this work. And Boston knew that, and they had the leverage, and they just obviously weren't going to make that second-round pick, and or make the first-round pick, excuse me. And if you're Kevin Adams and the leadership in Buffalo, you, you wonder, is that Hall worth it? Is it worth it to trade a guy in Hall and get a, what you got, or do you hold out and let him walk for nothing, because now going forward, you're the guy that traded Taylor Hall for Bjork, which I really don't know much about. I can't really speculate on him and a second round pick, and that's that's one of your trade acquisitions for a guy of Hall's talent.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough spot for him to be in mm-hmm. for Kevin Adams for him to be in. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know how you give him a a no trade clause. For a one year deal like that. True. Like you knew what this was gonna be. Taylor Hall was not coming to your team to get you far into the playoffs. Like there was talk that maybe this team can make the playoffs, but you're not getting past the first round. This isn't your you know, rejuvenation of a franchise signing Taylor Hall for one year. Yeah. You knew ninety five percent chance that he was gonna be shipped and you're you know, you're basically signing a player for eight million dollars and you're getting picks. Yeah. So um yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's not a great look. That's for sure. I agree with you there. Um, and I mean, so be it. Like with with Taylor Hall, like I I don't know how you don't milk that to the last couple hours of the trade deadline, and you know you know at least put Hall's feet to the fire and be like, I'm not moving with Boston, but I have this trade with Colorado. Yeah. Um, Saint Louis, we're getting a good haul. Yeah, insert any name here that would give you more than a second rounder, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I don't know. I think they panicked, and I mean, it makes sense because that organization has been panicking for years. (laughs) But um, yeah, unfortunate, but good for Taylor Hall. I mean, good for Boston too. They they played it very well, and they they have a really good chance of getting out of that uh, that metropolitan division.
1: The, the thing with Hall, this is now a a trial period. This is a test drive between both the player and the franchise. Hall has said he wants to potentially re-sign in Boston. I think he would love to stay there. Uh, will the money work? That's a different question. And also, I mean, you mentioned they got a great lineup, no doubt about it. But with the injury to Rask, do they really see themselves as a Stanley Cup favorite, a contender in that division and just across the league, like, can they win with the guys that they've been playing in goal, uh, Out not, notwithstanding the lineup in the defense core that they currently are operating with?
0: Well, I think Rask is coming back soon. Um, but, I mean, I, like that division is kind of a toss-up, right? Like, I mean, there is, there's a few teams that are bottom feeders, for sure, like Buffalo. But, you know of the four teams that make it, like I don't think anybody really has the advantage to get out of there. So um, I think they're just kind of taking their chances. They're seeing, well, I guess this would have been before, but um, you know Washington was going to get or going to add to the roster they have. Mm-hmm. You, you saw the Islanders did it beforehand. Um, I think they're just kind of matching what everybody else is doing in their division and, and kind of taking their chances. So, I mean, it, it really is um, anybody's, game or anybody's division there
1: yeah i agree i mean we haven't been high on pittsburgh we are kind of high on on the islanders but it's like you said it's anybody's match and uh that again another very interesting race as we head down the stretch toward the playoffs the last four or five weeks uh you mentioned the calgary trade uh trading sam bennett to florida for a second round pick and a a finished prospect uh heineman and i As a Flames fan, I was sad to see Bennett go. I really thought with uh, the Sutter change and the regime back, um, Bennett was playing better, and he even talked about how uh, he enjoyed the you know this stretch of play under Daryl Sutter. But obviously, the uh, the cuts were too deep, and he needed to make a change of scenery. So he goes to Florida and joins up with that roster, uh, poised for a playoff push, which is obviously nice for Sam. He's gonna he's we talked about him in the past, Flanton. I like he's a guy that's gonna elevate his game in the playoffs, and that's a fantastic addition if you're a Florida Panthers fan, because um, a prospect in a second-round pick, not a huge um, toll to give away for a guy with this playoff pedigree. He's done it for so many playoffs with the Flames in, in recent years. Uh, I think it's a it's a good trade for both parties.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really like it for both. Um, yeah, talking about Florida, I mean, they got a guy, you know, ben, Bennett has said that he wants to, Kind of cracked the top six, but I think for where he's at, I mean, he's going to be on a winning team, and you know whether he's on the third or fourth line, um, you know, having Barkov and Huberto there, he doesn't have to be the guy in the playoffs anymore, right? Yeah. Like, it almost seems like in Calgary that you know people are kind of relying on him, and it's like no, that that shouldn't be the situation. So um, you know he'll he'll be able to settle into his role a little bit more, at least for this season. You know whatever his, his future looks like there, we'll have to see, but. And then on the flame side, I mean, that is as good a haul as you can get yeah. for for a distressed asset. Um, you know, I was very surprised to see what they got. Um, obviously, the second round pick, and then uh, Emil Heineman. Like he's he's a solid prospect, and, and I wasn't sure when he was drafted, but um, it was literally just last season. So yeah, he's exactly. Still knight, he's still got to turn twenty this year. Um, he's playing in the uh, Swedish Hockey League, so he's up in the the elite division, and 13 points in 43 games. I mean, he's a guy, probably a late bloomer. Um, Maybe come over to uh, Stockton next season and see what he can do. But like, those are two very usable assets for the Flames, for a guy that didn't want to be there. Like, You take that every day.
1: 100%. No, I agree with you. And I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be beneficial down the road when we get to the offseason and the summertime when Trivill Living has a chance to really examine this roster and figure out what the hell he wants to do because uh, this season has absolutely not gone the way the Flames fans hoped for. Uh, getting Tanev and uh, and Markstrom in the offseason, you didn't expect to be sellers at the trade deadline. You're not expecting to trade an asset out the door. You, If anything, you're looking to add and you're trying to be a a Washington or a Tampa or a, or an Islanders team and try to add towards the playoff push. But the way this season has gone... Not the way the Flames fans wanted and uh, really makes you want to have a good, long, hard look this offseason. I know the cap numbers don't exactly work out. How do you trade uh, a guy in Monaghan or a guy in Goudreau and try to get assets from that? I don't know. That's not what I'm getting paid to do. Uh, But some really difficult decisions may have to come arise uh, over in Flamesland.
0: Well, I, I ask you as a Flames fan, do you think for living makes it to the next season? Like,
1: Oh, I think he's safe. A hundred percent. I don't. Yes, I do. I don't think this has, he didn't give, he didn't give those guys their deals. And I'm not saying that they're actually bad contracts. I think Goudreau's one of the best in the league. And I think Monaghan's, you know, fairly paid as well, but those are your highest price assets uh alongside giordano i don't know what you do about Gio. uh he's making a big ticket as well but i i think i think the the ownership group and everyone involved in flames nation really believe in what brad's selling so i think he's going to get another kick of the can with this i don't think this is his last hurrah i mean i know he brought in sutter and uh that was obviously one strike against him you know hiring a new coach after everything that happened with uh, with Peters last year and then uh, moving over to, to the Smith, or Jeff Ward, I should say, and, and whatnot. But I think he still has the confidence in upper management where he's going to get a, a shot to to really make a change on this team. What about you, though? All right, Do you you yeah, don't think so? I
0: don't know. Well, I, it's just, it's, I don't know. Like,
1: Is he the reason this has a, gone awry? I, I feel...
0: Ah, uh, well I mean part of being the GM is picking the coaching and having the 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 ever revolving door of the coaching staff. Sure. Um of recent memory like that 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 doesn't help the situation. Sure. Um obviously you're trying to find the right guy, but I mean you got to find the right guy eventually. Mhm. Um and I mean like, you know, I feel like in the NHL a lot of the times, you know, GMs are fired because they're not having that playoff success and you, you know, you can You can talk about the future as much as you want, but, you know, this Goudreau-Monahan window is closing, and so I think he's either got to sell those guys Mm -hmm. or, you know, make a big change. Because, like, this, you know, you look at the rest of the division, well, I guess it's going to change next year, but, like, still, like, Edmonton is is passing you. You're in the McDavid-Drysdale area, so you got to find a way to beat those guys Mm -hmm. um, in a playoff series, and, I mean... Vancouver they had an off year this year but they're they're a young team that that has some potential like you, you start to see this once flames team that had so much excitement this this late pick Johnny Gaudreau is is you know so exciting he's getting all these points and he's in all these award talks and then Sean Monahan he's this high pick and oh my god is he is he the next Bergeron he's so good on both ends and then you know it's just I don't it's it's not going the way the flames had wanted and you know at what point do you do you got to change things up?
1: I don't know. No, it's a good point. I mean, they, you brought in Markstrom to settle an ever revolving door. That was the goaltender position for several years, which
0: was, which was a great move. I I love that move. And I like the Chris Tanner move, Mm -hmm. but you, you just hope for more success. Oh, a hundred percent.
1: Like this, this last go around this, this era of flames hockey, like to get into a first or second round, like, Sure, that's that's playoff success. That's getting money in the doors. But with the roster, that that defense, the depth of the defenseman in years past, to really waste that away really disappoints me. Like, sure, their forwards are a little bit top heavy, and they've kind of been the last few years. But that defenseman depth from Hannafin to Geo to Brody to Anderson, they've they've produced such good defensemen. Valimaki, I can go down the list. Like, there's so many mm-hmm. good defensemen, and. To to pile that with you know a lack of playoff success, 100% agree. Like it's just been very tough to watch as a Flames fan. I love the series that they won. That was what five six years ago against the Canucks. Like that's oh, so that long was, ago.
0: That was amazing. As yeah, yeah so I because I grew up on the West Coast and I right. I didn't like the the Canucks.
1: it's
0: <laughs> like I was I was in the middle of a musical theater production one night ever. <laughs> Getting as we're coming off stage, me and my buddies are getting live updates from from the game, and they're Canucks fans, and I'm Flames fans, and yeah. oh my god, it was it was a great night. But, I uh,
1: I watched. I think it was what? Well, the last game of the series was a game five, game six, where uh, Bennett scored the game winner. I watched that at a at a college house party of all things in Lethbridge, cool. Alberta. Um, that was a that was a trip. Like that was a good time, and uh, to celebrate the Flames winning the series made that night even more special. So that was a lot of fun. Um, awesome. But other than that, like you said, it's been a very long road uh, for playoff success for the Flames, and this this move and and you know moves to follow are going to lay the foundation for probably the next era of Flames. I don't think I think this timeline with Goudreau and Monahan is closed. You trade a guy in Bennett. I mean. You got Kachuk and you got Lindholm, but it's just not enough. I don't think it's enough. And you got to, you know, figure some shit out. And I 100% agree with you, Corey. Like they got to, Drew Living's got to do something in this offseason. He cannot stay a pat with what he's got.
0: Yeah. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm looking at the team. Like, have they not drafted very well recently? I mean, like Dylan wow. Dubé is a guy that stands out that, you know, a uh, late first that turned into quite a good player. But mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know, Rasmus Anderson's good. Yusuf Alamaki, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to take back my statement. But it just <laughs> seems like they need more They need more 19 to 23, 24-year-olds to fill in your bottom six, yep. to fill in that sixth pair like Alamaki's doing. Because that's those are the teams that are winning. It's guys yep. coming in, very solid players that are young, that are making league minimum, right, to, yep. to complement the Johnny Goudreaux and like, you know, these young guys that can go on a first line and, you know, maybe if they're not ready for it, Johnny can carry them and money or Monahan can carry those guys. Right. Like kind of what happened with Kachuk in his, in his earlier years, but I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, you, you, they need to start drafting better, I guess in the, in the middle rounds, like, cause all the guys I'm naming are very high. I think Valimaki was a first Dubé was a first, uh, Kachuk was a first, I believe.
1: Yeah. Um, like or, sorry, was a sorry, fourth or a fifth Dubé
0: Dubé was a second.
1: Yeah, that's right. right. Dubé was a second.
0: Um, Mangiapane, good pick. So yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like we're talking about a good team, but it's not good. <laughs> I don't know what to think about these guys.
1: Uh, I don't know if this is an off year or what. Like, it's just a very, um, very frustrating to watch as a Flames fan because I just don't know what team is showing up every night. And <laughs> uh, that is the worst part. And, and the goaltending has been, you know, so-so. Markstrom's had his moments. He's also been kind of brutal and uh, the defense have been what it was, and the forwards aren't scoring enough, and Kachuk hasn't been his agitating self outside of a uh, one game against Toronto early in the season. Like It's just been a weird year for Flames fans, so I'm looking forward to this season being over, looking forward towards um, maybe a potential first round, maybe, if they can get past Montreal, which I know Lance, yeah, doesn't, Lance doesn't want to see that, but uh, that would be interesting because, I mean, they get... They get pummeled against Toronto. I don't think they would be that close. I know I'm a Flames fan.
0: Yeah, no, if they played Toronto, that would be that would be tough for them to get out of the first round. Yeah. But, I mean, if they get there, I mean, that, that's probably a win for this oh season. Oh, my
1: God, that'd be a huge win. Are you kidding yeah. me? You lose, like, <laughs> um, five or seven games against Ottawa, and then you go and win a first-round series against Toronto, the team that you're supposed to win the cup against? Like, that would be insane.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, you can dream. You, you definitely can dream. You
1: <laughs> can dream. Okay, we'll quickly go around the rest of the trades. We spent way too much time yep. on the Flames, but uh, the big oh one God. that kind of came out of nowhere was the uh, Mantha trade from Detroit to Washington for Jacob Verana, Richard Panic, a first and a second round pick. Uh, from all accounts, Mantha was in the doghouse of Detroit and Verana was in the doghouse of of Washington, and uh, that made for a interesting pair of players to be traded for one another. Uh, you take the contract of Panic, and that was probably worth a pick. And then, uh, you know, the, the trade in general looks very nice uh, if you're a fan of the Capitals, because, I mean, Mantha scored in his first game. Varan also scored tonight, so you can't really uh, complain there. But uh, uh, for a team in Detroit, where outside of guys like Mo Sider and Dylan Larkin and uh, they're they a really young rookie in Raymond. They just drafted last year. There's not a lot of untouchables on this Red Wings roster. And uh, for Mantha, that was a good price to pay if you're Washington.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of criticism towards Washington for this because I think most people are kind of seeing Mantha and Verona as a wash. Like, those two are very, very solid players. And they're, you know, they obviously play different games. But... Um, people are saying that you know Verona's skill level is right there with Mantha. So what is Washington doing, adding you know panic and a and a first and a second? But um, I think um, Mantha's contract is what you're really paying those first for. That cost certainty. Um, Verona's on an expiring deal. He is an RFA, I believe. But um, with Mantha, I mean he's got three more years after this one, all under six million dollars. So. Um, I think that's what you're spending the first and the second on, is that you're getting a good player, but you're also getting them at a good deal for a few years after this. Um, so that's going to be huge for the Capitals. And you know you don't know how much Ovi's got left in the tank. You don't know how much Backstrom's got in the tank. you got to start planning for this team that's going to hover around Kuznetsov in a few years here. So um, I think math, math is going to be a good complimentary piece for Washington. And then obviously Detroit got a bunch of assets and a, and a really good player that's going to help them in their future. So I, I think it's a good deal for both.
1: Uh, they're, they're telling a story on 31 thoughts that uh, Elliot was talking with a, a player within the Boston organization. And they were talking about in the draft year between uh, Pasternak and Varana. They were both in the same draft year and obviously one went higher in Varana and Pasternak fell to 22. But Pasternak was injured in this, like I think it was an under 18 tournament. And they really showcased Varana and he had a great tournament. He was scoring a lot of goals. And that obviously elevated his draft stock where, I mean, both are supposed to be elite goal scorers. Pasternak has done that so far in his early career and Varana hasn't quite yet. But um, just the skill level. Of both those guys, in comparison to a guy in Mantha where uh, the goal scoring is absolutely there. He he ripped it up in junior for Quebec. Uh, the foot speed's always been questionable. His size is definitely tantalizing. Um, he's just a very interesting guy. And if it could all come together for Mantha, I think he could be an absolute monster for a team. And he kind of showed flashes with Detroit. But it just wasn't all together, and it could be the the you know some of the parts as well in Detroit. But uh, I like the change of scenery for Mantha. And if you're a Detroit fan, the haul you got, you got Ferrana a very, very good prospect and a young guy you can kind of build around with the speed of Larkin. I like that a lot. And you take the contract of panic, and you get a couple picks as well. And it just kind of shows to me that Steve Eiserman believes that this rebuild of Detroit is going to take a little bit longer than anticipated.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd like to start building around Larkin and Mantha, but and I think they, they kind of had an opportunity to do it over the past couple of years, but it hasn't quite amounted to what they wanted to do. So um, it looked like Eisenman was, you know, maybe trying to build off the team that he got, but I think he just realized that, you know, I kind of got to do this do this rebuild by myself here and and, and kind of have a reset sell off. Our top players when we can so getting rid of Anthony. i mean that's huge and yeah. you mentioned that he could, he could be a beast for washington like we haven't seen this guy in the playoffs true um you see what tom wilson can do in a playoff series um you see what josh anderson can do in a playoff series i mean like i think he's got the body to do that um i'll be really interested to see what he can do in an nhl playoffs
1: what about a guy like johan Larson? Or sorry, Johan Franzen, I should say. Oh, <laughs> Back yeah. in the day of the Detroit era. Like that was uh that was a guy, Thomas Holmström, like those type of guys that can play in front of the net and uh, you know, get do do, do the dirty work. Like that would be uh, a great spot to have Mantha in front of the net, uh, you know, tipping uh shots from O V from the point and whatnot. Like that'd be that'd be awesome to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. That'd be a great role for him. So I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what what he can do in Washington, and he'll be given all the opportunities on those top on those top two lines.
1: Do you like what the Islanders did? You know, uh, replacing the injured Anders Lee with uh, Paul Mary and Zay Jack from. Uh, New Jersey Devils obviously uh, Lou Lamorello GM of the Islanders has some ties with Zajac I think that's a huge reason why that was part of the trade uh, but for Paul Murray, he was one of the top targets on this trade deadline and uh, you know for the, the Devils they got a first a fourth and a couple young guys in prospects for this kind of bigger deal that came just before the deadline there last week uh, I, I like what the Islanders did do you as well
0: yeah, um, there was talk that Lamarello was trying to get Zajac in Toronto. That um, just didn't work with the cap. But yeah, Zajac is one of Lamarello's guys. Um, he can be uh, a bottom six guy that, you know, he's got a lot of experience, obviously, um, in the playoffs and just in the NHL in general. So he'll be big. And then I'm, I'm big on Kyle Palmieri. Um, I loved him with Anaheim. Um, and, he, and he really hit his stride in New Jersey. Um, he he put up a bunch of points over a couple of those seasons, and he's just a good two-way f- forward that I think is just gonna. He's gonna fit perfectly with the Islanders, who is just full full of guys that can play offense and defense. Right, like they're they're very much a team that that uh, they uh, they worry about their own zone first, and then they progress everybody up to the offense. So. Um, I think it's a good move. They had to replace Andres Lee. Um, they really didn't have an option. They had to go mm-hmm. get out and get a top six guy. And I think Palmieri was a, was a great choice.
1: Uh, for the second year in a row, I'm so looking forward to these Islanders and their defensive structure in the playoffs. Because uh, Barry Trotz knows how to play defense, and uh, with the the goaltending tandem of Sorokin and Varlamov, who have been you know very good this year, uh, it's kind of surprisingly how well uh, Sorokin's played in stretches, and Varlamov have been very well. Uh, this team is is primed to do some really good things in the playoffs, and we talked about it with Maddie last episode. But Florida really intrigues me uh, as another team where. Um, they, did they actually, I can't remember, did they make, I guess they made the, the deal for Bennett, I should say. I was going to say, they didn't make any crazy big deals, but they added another guy in Bennett. Like, um, this firepower with, uh, with Florida and the goaltending tandem we talked about and their defense has been very, very underrated. Two teams in that East that I'm so looking forward to watching in the playoffs is the Islanders and the Panthers.
0: Yeah, the Panthers picked up uh, Mantha. Or, sorry, not Mantha, sorry. What am I talking about? Uh, Montour, sorry. Montour, Montour defenseman, took, yes. Montour to pick up, Ak, uh, to replace Ekblad. Um, yeah, they've looked good. They've got timely goaltending from like, Chris Drieger, of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested to see. Um, I think the Panthers, they, they're they going to have a tough time getting out of the central because they're, it looks like they're probably going to have to play Either the hurricanes or the lightning, unless they can go on a streak and get that one seed and play, um, whether it be the predators, probably the predators. Yeah. Um, And then we keep mentioning that East Division um, with the Islanders. Like you know, it could go to anybody, right? They're gonna have to get through the Capitals or the Bruins. So yeah. um, I don't know. I like we we talked about Toronto like uh, earlier. Like they they have the easiest path to that Final Four. Like, I, I hate to say it, but you know the Canadian division, it, I, I just don't see it as strong as some of these other ones. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very good playoff hockey.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, any other news and notes from the trade deadline you want to pass along before we move on? Uh, Tampa getting Savard,
0: that's something. Yeah. I mean, last year they traded two first, and, and it worked out So huh. um, to get Goudreau and uh, the other guy. Whatever his name, Coleman, is. Coleman, I believe. Yes, exactly. So they're they're still building on this team. Um, favorite minor trade I had in here of all the trades that we kind of haven't mentioned. What's well, a good one? Um, people are shitting on Anaheim. I don't know why. Like I'm an Anaheim fan. Yeah. But like they, they made two trades. They got rid of Ben Hutton, whatever. Then they got Hayden Flurry. Like I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, I love that deal. Right. Um, like he's a young defenseman. I think people are upset that they didn't get rid of Ra- Raquel and Manson, mm-hmm. but. I mean, I think we've talked about the Ducks a little bit before. Like, you know, mm-hmm. with with Drysdale and Zeger showing that they can, sh- you know, they can do something at the professional level. Like, maybe this rebuild is is going to end a little bit sooner than once thought. But anyway, that's just coming from a Ducks fan. I think <laughs> Raquel Raquel and Manson can still be playing meaningful hockey in Anaheim over the next couple of years. So I think that's why they kept them. But anyway, that's that's, that's all I got.
1: Little surprising that uh, the folks in Nashville didn't pull the trigger on a guy like Ekholm for for. At least a month, he was kind of the top defensive target for most teams. And I think just the way their their win streak lined up with the schedule, uh, it kind of took them out of play to be a trade target because Eckholm could have gone. Uh, there was talk that Ryan Ellis might have gone. Um, that team is, you know, there's not a lot of UFA, so it's not like David Poyle had to make a move. But if he wanted to and to really change the course of his team, That might have been uh, the way to go, but he he stayed pat and away the Predators go towards the final playoff spot there in that division. Um, Minnesota, I'm a little surprised that Minnesota didn't do a lot. I mean, based off the success of this season and and Kaprizov is there and really entertaining, uh, a little surprised that Minnesota didn't really pull the trigger on anything big.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I think they're seeing who they're going to have to match up against in in Vegas and Colorado.
1: True, yeah. I think
0: they're just a little bit more realistic about their chances and, and just want to grow their young guys because you know their team's looking pretty young and pretty good they do have some some older guys there but um, yeah I don't know and, and hmm. with Nashville they're just turning into Minnesota from like years ago I don't kind know. of. like yeah. they're just they're just happy with making the playoffs every year and that's fine like I, I don't know they to like Eckholm's value was only going to diminish and they could have gotten the first plus probably I think so because um, I bet you because like, you, you saw what Tampa got, gave up for Savard and mm-hmm. I think Eckholm's probably a better defenseman so I don't know like they're just they're sticking with their guys and their guys aren't very good and they're not going <laughs> to get past the first round So anyway.
1: the guys are not very good no that's nope. uh it's such a it's such a stark comparison to their Stanley Cup final run like that mm-hmm. team, that city was just a blaze during that run, and now it seems like an afterthought. Like that was ages ago. It feels like, and it was only like maybe three, four years ago. Like, not that a lot of time has changed, but this roster and this, the expectations around it have completely diminished.
0: Yeah, and like their um, their two big centers are Johansson and Duchesne and they're making a lot of money, mm-hmm. but they're not. Neither of them are really a a number one center. No. Um, so they they have a lot of money tied up on guys that aren't star caliber, and you know Romanosi is a great defenseman. They got a lot of money in him. Yeah. Um, and then their
1: their team is just kind of meh after that. Well, I mean, it's only going to take a guy like Ascaroff to come and save them, though, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, you know,
0: he, he, you know, you he, he see what a goalie can do. Yeah. Goalie,
1: goalies can maybe. I don't, I don't Jack know. Campbell, He's man. He's
0: still so far away.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, game. well, we'll move things over to the uh, NBA side of things quickly as we wrap up, you know, the back half of this podcast. Uh, Luca Donch is his game winner last night. I know you caught it, Corey. You're not the biggest NBA fan, uh, albeit, but that three. The little flick in the wrist, and it just kind of goes in off of one foot. Like that was insane to watch. Hey.
0: Yeah, um, it's I don't know. There's something about basketball when when they do like amazing athletic plays. It just it hits different. It's it's (laughs) when guys that are upper six feet. Can contor, can, or what's the word contort, I'm looking for? Yeah.
1: Contort, yeah. you got it. Yep.
0: Jesus, I'm drunk. <laughs> um, well, they can contort their body and just throw up a ball, like, and and, and it it just splashes it like that's Yeah, it's nuts. It's it's amazing to watch.
1: No, it was so good, and the the Mavericks sit seventh in the Western Conference right now, so they are uh, in the top half of the play-in tournament, something that luca has been a little bit critical of the last week or so. He doesn't really see a point in it. Um, I mean, the executives and the folks in the NBA upper brass are going to say, well, more money, more games. This is all a, a win-win in our books, so they're not going to— I don't think they're going to get rid of it because it's a lot of entertaining fun, but uh, I can kind of see Luca's side and playing extra games just to— play in a playoff series in the first round. I kind of understand that, but uh, they're not going to get rid of it anyways. Uh, a team that could provide an upset in round one. I really like the Mavs. If they were to get out of this play-in bubble, whoever they would face, I think it's the Pelicans uh, in the number 10 spot. Like That would be interesting. And they could provide a scare, I think, to a, to an L.A. team or a, a Suns or a Jazz, a, a team that doesn't have a lot of uh, playoff experience. Luka was there last year against the Clippers and had a fantastic series. Obviously, they didn't win. They lost in six games to the Clippers. But uh, Mavs, interesting team there in the West. Uh, we'll remain to see what happens there. Another team in the West that uh, suffered a big loss just the other night, the Denver Nuggets. They made the trade at the deadline for Aaron Gordon, uh, teaming up with Michael Porter Jr. And, uh, and Jokic and see what that team could do. And one of those guys was was Kitchener's finest, Jamal Murray from Canada. Yeah. He tears his left ACL, just coming back from a, a right knee injury. And that is terrible news for the Nuggets. Uh, you know, their spot in the Western Conference is probably secure. That's nothing, nothing to worry about, but I just this was their year to really challenge with the LA teams. And I just, I really feel like this has really significantly hindered that opportunity.
0: Yeah. That, that takes the wind right out of your sails when, when one of your top players goes out. Um, yeah, that, that sucks. And is that gonna, cause uh, you know, I don't know how the, how do the Olympics works and, and the qualifying, like what does that mean for Canada basketball? Is he, Going to be missing in anything important there too.
1: That's a great point. And uh, they're supposed to be playing last year. They were supposed to be playing their play-in tournament for the Olympics to Tokyo uh, over in Victoria. That obviously got postponed to this year. So that is still a go as of right now for Victoria. But uh, with this timeline, that basically takes him out of Canada basketball as well. And that's an even bigger loss for Canadian fans. So that is um, massive. And that really sucks. And I hope all the best for Murray. Hope he can come back next year uh, bigger, better than ever. But uh, yeah, for Nuggets fans, big oof on that one. And hopefully... (laughs) Guys like Porter Jr. can step up even more, and Gordon can start to play like he did in Orlando. He might have to play like he did in Orlando um, in more of a scoring role, but they're trying to sign, I believe it's Austin Rivers, a guard, uh, to, to kind of supplement those minutes as well. It's going to be a team effort in terms of the backcourt. Their, their forwards are stacked with Jokic and Porter and Gordon, but uh, the backcourt's now going to be hurting a little bit. So, uh, rough go for the Nuggets. Uh, kind of news that broke early this morning. Another guy that got traded at the trade deadline, LaMarcus Aldridge, not a trade, I shouldn't say. It was a buyout opportunity. But he signed with the Brooklyn Nets like a couple weeks ago. And today he announced on his uh, social media, on Twitter, that he's retiring from the league because of an irregular heartbeat that actually affected him in his last career game a couple nights ago. He was playing the game with a regular heartbeat. Uh, got it checked out in hospital that night and uh, with consultation from the doctors and his family and whatnot, he's deciding to hang it up after 15 years. Uh, spent a lot of it with Portland, uh, the Trailblazers, five years with the San Antonio Spurs and then this last little stint with the Brooklyn Nets. He was hoping for a championship run with Brooklyn and, and that all-star roster and really sad news though for, for LMA.
0: Yeah, that sucks. Jeez, how do you... I wonder how you feel in a regular heartbeat. I don't know. I guess it'd probably be pretty obvious, but um, yeah, that sucks. And uh, you know that 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 uh, that dream team that was kind of building up mm. in in Brooklyn. Um, obviously, he was going to be a part of that. But I mean, hopefully, they can go on and and win it, and he still gets a ring for being on the team. But health health has got to come first. And that yeah, that's just that's just a shitty thing to happen mid-season for him and especially for, for his career, career to be over.
1: Absolutely. Kind of reminds me of a lot of Chris Bosch. He had to uh, retire early in his career. Uh, earlier than expected, I should say, due to his uh, heart condition. So, all the best LMA and uh, I mean, he's going to do great things uh, post-basketball, that's for sure. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up to you, Corey, I know you're not the biggest basketball fan like we mentioned, but uh, in terms of, I found an article today on the score about the best sidekick players in in the league today and uh, they talked about two guys in particular in chris middleton with the box playing alongside Giannis, and jalen brown of the celtics playing alongside a guy in jason tatum uh, both are great players but the one guy i don't know if it's because they uh, don't consider him as a secondary player is anthony davis or vice versa lebron whoever's the the number two in LA, I think either of those guys would probably be ahead of, of Jalen or Chris. Like, wouldn't you think so?
0: Yeah. Well, you'd, you'd think so, but I, yeah, I don't, I, I wonder if they're not counting him because they're both kind of the main guy. Yeah. I, I mean, but still like, yeah, I guess one of them has got to be the sidekick. <laughs> you got, I think you got to give it to Davis, right? Because LeBron and his legacy, yeah. you know, he, he's just the guy. So, but yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis is, arguably a top 10 player in this league, right? Yeah, so,
1: I think it's a little think, unfair, right? I think that's to- yeah. totally the, uh, the not the point of this article that was written up by The Score. But it got me thinking right. about the best sidekick player of all time. And, uh, I mean, you look at down the list, and there's so many number twos that were, you know, so good in this league. Is there one that kind of pops out to you? I'll let you go first. Is there one that kind of pops out to you there?
0: Yeah, um, I think you have... The best one written down, so I'm not gonna say it. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm going off the board. Oh, okay. The podcast is on the board. I'm going off the off board. The board. Going, going homegrown. I'm going Kyle Lowry.
1: Oh, good one.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, I'm like a little bit joking, but like he was lights out beside Kawhi in in that playoff run. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's, he, he's going to go down as the best sidekick, uh, in Raptors history for, for what he did for that franchise, uh, in that year. And alongside Kawhi, cause I mean, Kawhi was amazing, but you know, the, the supporting cast around him and how well Kyle Lowry played that year. I mean, you're probably not looking at a championship if, if the other guys don't pitch
1: in. So, um, i am going with Kyle Lowry. That's I, a great poll, man. I, I'm, I'm proud of you for pulling that. That was awesome. Thank um, you. Thank you. I, you mentioned the, the guy I have down here and Scotty Pippen. I mean, he was obviously, he was more than a Robin to, to Jordan's Batman. He was like right. Anthony Davis. Like he was a top five, top 10 player um, at his time. And that was kind of foreign in that day and age of basketball to have a guy, two guys like that on the same roster. It just didn't happen. These super teams kind of grew uh, in the late 2000s, not in the 90s. But uh, Pippen was obviously amazing. He was uh, one of the best of all time, and kind of will go alongside a guy like in Davis if that continues to to go the way of the Lakers. Uh, but Lowry's a good one. I really like that one a lot. So, um, sure. very interesting conversation. Maybe we'll get Lance on that one next week. Uh, he can answer that one uh, on his end of things. Um, last but not least, we'll we'll turn things over to baseball. Lance has provided us with some really interesting notes for today's edition of the baseball talk, uh, but the Bl- Toronto Blue Jays have started their season six and six, including going four and two against the Yankees, which is really surprising. I think the Yankees, by all accounts, were going to be head and shoulders about, above this division. And to take uh, four of six from them, that's a nice start to the early season at least.:
0: Yeah, they' you know they've kind of faced Goliath. Um, obviously getting the two series against them to start out that's that's a tough way to start your season um but you know they've they've shown what they can do this year and what their their potential could look like this season um yeah it's they they're like we said they're they're exciting and i mean they faced garrett cole twice this year yeah um that's and you know they've done quite well against him um yeah they've they they look exciting and 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 obviously they've they've proven what they can do against these Yankees. They could very well contend for first in the, in that
1: division. In terms of how they stack up around the league, they are the seventh best in terms of runs against in the league at three point seven a game. Uh, they're tied for twelfth in runs four at four and a half a game. Uh, but the pitching has been very strong considering all the injuries that they've gotten so far. Uh, the coldest start at the plate or the strong start in terms of the pitching staff. What's more surprising to you, Corey?
0: Um I think I gotta go with the, the pitching. Um, there were some question marks coming in. Like obviously Ryu was was great um, last year and, and there was some that uh, there's some players that you knew what you were gonna get but I mean like like I said in the in the Facebook um, messenger a couple couple weeks ago, I was like, like the Blue Jays just keep finding relievers that I've never heard of and they turn into studs. Like Merriweather's looked really good. Um, and you know, they're they're starting pitching. I mean Steven Matts has looked amazing in his two starts. Um, yeah, like the, the, the pitching has, has been impressive with Matz and then, then obviously the bullpen looking very good.
1: Yeah, and obviously tons of injuries as well. And a guy like Jordan Romano goes on the IL today. Like that doesn't hurt or doesn't help, excuse me, any situations in terms of that bullpen. You talked about Merriweather's on the IL as well right now. We haven't seen George Springer yet in terms of the offense. Like that is a a major piece Mm -hmm. to still arrive for this lineup Uh, in terms of the offense. Like we mentioned, I mean, Bobuchet he hit that walk off slam yesterday against the Yankees. That was so, so nice to see. Uh, Vladi's been hitting the ball crazy good so far this year. Uh, they've obviously been carrying the load in the absence of Springer. And again, just those are the two guys alongside Kevin Biggio that you want to see continue to progress and progress until hopefully an all-star appearance or two. That would be nice.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think both started out a little, little bit off in his first eight games, and then he turned it right around um, which you're gonna see with those young guys. Obviously, like you know, baseball is a very up and down sport, and especially for these young guys starting out a season, um, you know, you might not start the way you want, but it, you know, if you're able to come back and put in a really good week after after a rough one, like that's that's the name of the game. So um, you're gonna rely. Those those two are gonna be the big guys for the next decade. Um, and so the fact that they've started this year out on the right foot is huge. And I mean, Randall Grichuk has played a great center field. Yeah. Um, when when Springer was picked up, it was almost like he was going to be the guy pushed out of the outfield mm-hmm. um, with Hernandez and Gurriel in the corners, maybe. But he's he's proven that you know he just still deserves to be in this spot. Hitting over three hundred, he's got you know double digit RBIs to start. Like you know, he's looked very good. He's been the guy that's probably impressed me the most, just because you expect what Bichette and uh, Guerrero have done so far.
1: Absolutely, and uh, the Jays themselves are on a nine-game road road trip as we speak tonight. They're uh, playing against the Kansas City Royals, currently losing 7-3 to three in the top uh. of the six as we record here on a Thursday night. Uh, so that'll be... Not a great way to kickstart the road trip, but I mean, a guy who's been amazing to start the season on that side of the field in Kansas City is Whit Merrifield. I know we talked about him <laughs> on the, uh, the starters Good episode. Yeah. I mean, it's great pickup. I, I have him in fantasy as well, so I'm a little bit biased, but, um, he's been hitting the cover off the ball and stealing, uh, you know, bases and getting on base as well. Uh, great start for the folks in Kansas City to see Whit Merrifield on, a, on an everyday basis.
0: Yeah, he's always just, he's, he's been a very good five-tool player. Um, you know, he's, he's always had good stats, good hitting stats. Um, always hitting either low 300s or, or high 200s. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the three home runs to start off the season, I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but, you know, that you know, a little bit of pop, that's something nice to see. Um, yeah, you know, you look at this Royals team who, since their championships, have been kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, you know, now that they got Ben Attendee and they got a little bit of a better team now, like, you know, they're, they'll start to make some noise in that central.
1: Definitely didn't expect Witt to hit three home runs already this year. Like, not a guy no. known for his power. I mean, you talk about him being a 5 2 player, yes, but uh, this so far in the season is definitely a, a nice surprise, especially for those folks playing fantasy. Uh, another guy that, at least, again, uh, on my biased account, is Byron Buxton with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, another guy hitting the cover off the ball. He's currently injured with a little bit of a hamstring strain. Uh, but another guy, at least in fantasy circles, who has been very, very good. Um, and like I mentioned, just hitting the cover off the ball. And the Twins, for for the most part, are are holding their own there in the Central.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I gotta pull up the central because I I I don't know too much about the central. No, actually, I'm just but, looking at
1: myself, but, and they are last place. So I, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, but not uh, by not by big. There's only a game and a half between first and fifth. So like the, it's again sm- very very small right. sample size.
0: Yeah, that's a tight division if the White Sox are at the bottom. Man. My but, goodness. Uh, yeah. Tigers are a surprise, but yeah, Byron Buxton. He, I mean, when he was coming up, he was a highly touted prospect. But I mean, I think it was just his speed that. In, in his fielding that kind of allured people to him but now i mean the twins are seeing that he he has a he has a bat for himself there um that's exciting that that's you know he could be one of the better center fielders in the league um for a long time because he's still he's still got a, a long career ahead of him
1: but the consistency is going to be key, as with all these guys, right? Like uh-huh. that's that's the yeah. name of the game. He's had his spurts alongside a lot of young, uh, very talented people. But the consistency is what, you know, turns the stars into all-time greats. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the teams and the standings alongside, I know we both have the standings up right now. The Dodgers uh, currently sit 10-2. They are in a class of their own. They've been fantastic. Bowers looked fantastic in his couple starts. Uh, Kershaw as well. Uh, the Red Sox also lead the division there uh, with a 9-4 and four record. That's a little bit surprising, uh, not seeing the Yankees there. They're 5-7, and seven, a little bit sputtering at this point. But uh, bigger story so far, the Red Sox leading the AL, or one of the uh, teams underperforming so far, like the Yankees, the Astros are 500, uh, the NL East with the Mets sitting at you no know, number one spot at five and three. That all comes down to uh, win percentage, unfortunately, at this stage of the game, though.
0: Yeah, um, Red Sox have looked very good. Um, I, I'm, I know Jesse Christensen has been <laughs> a very big fan of, of their start. Um Big surprise in the AL West. You mentioned the Astros are only 6-6, six and six, but the fact that the Mariners are leading that division, Yeah, I don't care at what point in the season it is, <laughs> if they're leading at all, something's weird. Um, they've looked very good. Um, yeah, they, you know, the Mets, they they got some more games to play, but you'd, you'd expect more out of the Braves. Their 5-8 and eight start isn't that great. Um, i mean we were talking that they were going to be the biggest competition for the dodgers this season but right not off to the start that they want um and then the nL central it's i mean it's it's the nL central i don't know yeah <laughs> like not.
1: what's what's the deal with the Reds being first off like that is that's a little bit surprising in my books they're they're a team that's not it, on that side of the competitive landscape in my opinion at least
0: no and I mean they got rid of or didn't get rid of, but they don't have Trevor Bauer anymore no. who was there last season, so that's a huge loss for them. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect out of that NL Central. I can guarantee Pittsburgh's going to stay at the bottom there, but yeah. <laughs> the rest of those four teams, um, you know, very interesting. I don't know. Like, I mean, Casillanos has hit the ball well. Um, I think that was, a, was that a Lance Dahl pickup? For who, sorry? Nick Castellanos for the rest. Yes,
1: Reds. he was, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah, He's hitting ball well. He's got four home runs. He's hitting 300-plus. So,
1: Yeah, um, I don't know what
0: to think of that NL Central.
1: I was just right looking away. at the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and their uh, team stats, and, and my dude that I picked up in the starters draft, Cabrian Hayes. Uh, yep. Let's not shout him out because he's only played two games Oof. of the 12. I'm not sure why they aren't playing him. He's only got five at-bats. Uh, not a good... Good uh, start to the season for Mr. Cabrian Hayes. So that was a a bit another big oof on my part in the starters yeah. draft.
0: I uh, I need to shout out some of my starter draft picks because okay. Buster Posey is
1: oh. is,
0: is hitting two eighty six. He's got two bombs. Hell yeah! I mean, he mean he he's still got a little bit of gas in the tank. Yeah. Um, and then Catal Marte. Holy shit! I mean, he hasn't played too many games. I think he's only played six.
1: What's up with him?
0: Hit he's hitting 462 he's got oh. two bobs, <laughs> like for a, a small guy i mean holy he's just tearing the cover off the ball in arizona so
1: yeah 12 hits in six that, games that
0: That's i want nice. to shout out yeah
1: hell yeah um that about wraps it up at least for the baseball side of things we'll we'll get lance Dahl back on the pod next week or yeah. the next episode he'll definitely dive more into the baseball side cool. of things with us
0: there was also a double no hitter last night. I mean, True. I don't know why I didn't have it in the, in yeah, the he notes, missed, but He uh, missed, but Carlos
1: Dodge shut out. That was oh. okay. Now, what, what's your opinion as a former catcher and the whole situation with uh, the hit by the pitch to to ruin the perfect game? Do you think that the batter you know dipped a little too deep to to get that hit or the hit by pitch or or what's your opinion on that?
0: Um, I haven't seen it, honestly. I I've, yeah. I've seen some thumbnails but I haven't I haven't actually seen the video, so I have to review. Okay. Um, I will say though, as a catcher, I am very upset with Carlos Rendon because his first move after the last out is to go hug the third baseman. Okay. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't care if he's the <laughs> la- he got the last out. Like that is disrespectful. Yeah. You hugged you hugged the catcher first. Like you were the two that did it. Yeah. anyways that's i would my pitcher would not hear the end of it if we threw a new hitter or threw a no hitter and he goes and hugs somebody else first anyways
1: that's the part you get more pissed off at <laughs>
0: yeah and i wanted to ask lance because he was a former pitcher and right. I, wanted, I was gonna be like who if if you don't say catcher is the first guy that you go hug like that's we got we to gotta talk about something. I here, feel but.
1: like that's, for the history of the sport, it's always been, that's the embrace that you see 99 times out of 100 is the kit, the pitcher and catcher. Like,
0: Yeah, and like, I mean, I, I know I have a lot of bias here, but, um, I mean, a pitcher's no-hitter, if the catcher's calling the whole game, like, that's as much of a no-hitter for the catcher, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's got to make the calls, and um, there's been some games in my career, obviously, where the pitchers have... You know, they've dominated games, and I just really have to stick my glove up. But there's been some games where it's like, (laughs) you know, like there's a lot of strategy that goes into the pitchers to to beat some top teams. So it's really a, a, a duo thing there. So I was very upset with Carlos last night. Anyway.
1: Goddamn, Carlos. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll catch up with resident <laughs> pitcher Lance Dahl next week and uh, and get yep. his takes on the whole uh, post game ritual uh, of hugging the third baseman or hugging the catcher. What do you do?
0: Yes. Uh, also he says Canada USA in the gold medal. Okay, we got U18, a little so.
1: chime in. That was a little late there, Lance, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all right, Lance. All right. Anything else you want to touch on there, sir? Before we head out of here. I don't believe so. I think that's it. That sounds good to me. Thank you so much for downloading, subscribing, however you found the podcast. We greatly appreciate you. We are on Facebook at facebook.com on the board podcast. Also on Twitter at on the board pod. You can find us there. Uh, we'll hopefully have an episode for you next week, if not the week after. We'll recap some of the Tigers action and uh, the wild world of sports as we inch closer to the playoffs and uh, all that fun jazz that come along with it. For Corey Bacoskis, Colbin McKee signing off. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to On
1: The Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Yes! Yes!